Welcome to Reigns and Edge on the Free Talk Live Network. This week, bad news for former President Trump as he's ordered to dissolve Trump Corporation. Florida, we're number one. Florida bans more books than any other state of the union. But this is Florida. So Charlotte County says, we can outdo that. Hold my beer. We're removing every book in the library that has a gay LGBTQ character in it, whether they have sex or talk about it or not. Even if they have a funny haircut, they will have that. (laughs) And we've got this. We've got voicemail, and also much, much more. I'm Henry Reigns. I'm Mark Edge. And Mark, what do you have this week? Um, I've got a newsletter from Downsize DC that is answering the very important question, is there in fact a deep state? In what country? This one. (laughs) This one right here. Or are you talking about like a deep meditative state? I've I've (laughs) had those before, too. Well, the idea with the, the deep state is, is that there's this bureaucracy that, that even a president can't undo. In fact, a president whose sole goal is to undo this still can't do, can't even put a dent in it in the first uh, four years. Has to have another four years to do it. Why would he want to? Well, um, that's the question. And that's, that's added to all of this. So you are conceding there is a deep state. I am conceding the fact that if you go into a political science class, maybe not in the recent years because now it's a buzzword, but they would, or, or like an international relations class, they would talk, talk and tell you about the deep states of other countries. For example, if you were going to be dealing with the country of Turkey, the military industrial complex is even more entrenched than probably it is here which might be hard to believe, but that's what you might be told. Uh, There are, if you would look maybe from another country at the U.S. in the 60s, they would have told you about the military-industrial complex. Well, of course, President Eisenhower told you about the military-industrial complex. He knew a thing or two about that. But you might have uh, been educated to the role of the different oil companies. Uh, Maybe around the Civil War, you would have... Uh, learned about the robber barons and the, the railroads, uh, just probably the coal uh, companies back then. Post-Civil War was, um, so the, the United States changed from what they called the spoils system, which was when the president got into office, he basically appointed all of his bureaucracy within the apparatus. So everybody who you know, worked with him to get him elected, suddenly got a, got themselves a sweet government job. And somewhere between the 1870s and the early 1900s, that system went away. And now we have a system called, what we sort of call the deep state. Now, many no, countries... No, that, that, that's... I, I, I am touchingly uh, saying you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> Because you are just talking about a mechanism and a tool of the deep state. The deep state is the actual power centers within the country that may or may not manifest themselves in the the government and in the bureaucracies of the government. So, in uh, let's let's go real early in this country's history. The agrarian complex, the the cotton was the biggest 
industry in the United States of America. So you could definitely say that the plantation owners that controlled that were part of the deep state of the uh, pre-Civil War South. And actually, since it was the biggest industry, they probably carried a lot more. In fact, you might even have found that many of the leading politicians in the early part of the country would have come out of that whole uh, agrarian plantation class. Well, I would agree with you that the power um, come, power comes from people have money. So, so far, we haven't managed... Or control of resources. All right, that's how you get the money, right? Control of violence. Well, the, the, the state is the organization that claims the monopoly privilege on the violence. Um, now, certainly... They claim it. That's what they claim it. <laughs> they aren't always capable of it. They aren't always capable, that's for sure. And when the state's smaller, then that's the, uh, you know, oftentimes violence comes from other organizations. Um, but property and violence go hand in hand. You're not going to keep that lovely computer of yours without being willing to fight for it. So, not from me, I'm, you can have it. Um. <laughs> oh, you can have it. <laughs> right. You wanted that bad, right? I, I agree, but ultimately, uh, from a societal level, if enough people say you can have it, I don't want it that bad, then you have a chaotic uh, scenario where no one can own property, and you know things devolve pretty quickly. Um, so I can't remember exactly where I was in in all of this uh, story. Well, I think you were trying to explain to me what you meant by the spoils when I said that wasn't. Essentially, uh, part of the deep state. It was more the mechanism of the. So the the a part of the, the state. Oper, operating operative term here being the state. So the spoils system. I'm not saying the spoils system's good or bad. I'm just saying that it changed. In many countries, they have the spoils system still. Honduras is a really great example where I've spent uh, quite a bit of time. When the new set of liars and thieves came in, well. That he had to trickle down all their people in. And they didn't know what they were doing for the first year. Uh, and why would the people who are leaving tell them how? So that's kind of the... Well, my point is you're still just result. focusing on the government. Yep. The, there are lots of centers of power. So uh, let, let's look currently. So actually the media is very diffuse now uh, in some ways because of the Internet and so many individuals that have managed to create little fiefdoms for themselves. But still, the the media is corporate control, whether you're talking about uh, the entertainment industry or the news industry or infotainment, whatever it is. Those corporations have the, the biggest grip on what is produced. If you have control of production, you have pretty much control of the agenda. Sure. So whatever the media uh, is, that is controlled usually by a board of directors. Yep. Within the board of directors, you're going to have, say, eight people. And of those eight people, they probably sit on other boards of directors. Maybe not in the media, but maybe yes. All right. So you have a group think across those people. The United States is so big to, to try and analyze it, like, oh, these people here. These people. We have a broad, broad upper class, not, not, not deep, but broad. They, they, they have, touch a lot of different things. So um, you have multinationals, which would, I would say would 
was the difference. Because we were talking about the 1960s America, where you would have had a 1950s America after World War II, when the multinationalism hadn't really ex expanded to the level it was, where you had the oil companies with their control. You had United Fruit dominating Latin America. You had um, the different transportation industries and the auto industries. And all those uh, not only try to influence elections, you have think tanks, you have uh, universities where you're putting their people on that. So the idea that, oh, I'm going to clean up the deep state, it's just ridiculous. The deep state has, it's like saying, I'm going to unroot the redwood forest. Well, I think it's, um, I don't know whether, I, I would disagree with your, your uh, assessment of what the deep state is. So let's say you have two dirty rooms in your house. And the way that you cleaned up one dirty room was by throwing a bunch of stuff into another dirty room. And then you say, <clears throat> pardon me, then you say, I'm going to clean up that other room. Well, you're not going to, I mean, somebody could say, if, you're, if your attempt is to clean up that other room by throwing the crap back in the first room, then obviously you don't have a great system. But you could clean up that one room by throwing the stuff into another room. Or you could come up with a better system of doing that. Now, I don't know what that better system is, and I wouldn't claim to know. I would agree with you, power is going to follow, or money's going to follow uh, power. Money's going to control power. And I don't doubt that at all. As to whether or not the deep, deep state needs to be undone, I don't know either. But I would say that there is a deep state, and that that deep state is government bureaucrats. And now, is that better than the corporatocracy totally that we used to have? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have an answer as to whether or not it's better than the corporatocracy. I didn't live in the 1880s. But um, we've you know still got the corporatocracy and we have the deep state. So now what? Well, the bureaucracy isn't the deep state. The bureaucracy are the worker bees. Do you want to read this article? Well, no, because she's <laughs> on your little phone there, and I, I just took my glasses off. <laughs> but... I can read it for you, so well, we can let them make their case. I think you're. I think that's just a pop culture deep state definition. Okay. You know, the bureaucracy is millions of people. So if you aren't, if they aren't worker bees, what are they? Well, it. I think that the the explanation that I've heard is that essentially those in the bureaucracy of the United States government care very little about who gets elected because they're going to continue to do their jobs the way they're going to do their jobs and they're going to achieve what they want to achieve within their jobs usually it's going home right at 5 and arriving right at 9 or whatever this, the case may be but every once in a while they get the they have, they have their own ideas I, I just think that um, we have very little to do. We, the people, the representatives of the United States government, have very little to do with what the U.S. government is actually going to do. And I think that a lot of people feel similarly, is, is that this is supposed to be a government of the people. Now, I don't believe that for a second. But it's supposed to be that, and that they feel unattached and unable to make any kind of dent in what the government does. You might be able to do it on a local level, but you're not going to do it on a national level. Let me say that we're in a ballpark together, but where I think you, you're missing it is when the, the 
the word used is bureaucracy. I'll go back to the fact that when you're talking about millions of employees, is the bureaucracy, which is the bureaucrats that are in the government that handle the the implementation of different regulations or that make sure that the social security checks go out and things like that. They have a job to do and it's getting done. But what I think you're tr talking about and what I've said many times over the years on my radio show is when a president comes in, they're going to make about ten to 20,000 appointees. Okay. Okay. That's a big difference than millions of appointees. Yeah, I don't know how many people work for the United States federal government, but it's. Um, I would agree that they're only just working at the very top levels. Well, well, let me explain this. That is why when you go, I want somebody to come in and shake them up. I want an outsider to come in. It's crazy. You need someone that has a patronage network. You need people, someone that has thousands of people that even if they've never met them, those people know they owe their livelihood to that person leading. And if you look at, say, the, the Bush family, when George H.W. Bush came in, actually go back to Reagan. Reagan had a pretty good uh, patronage network because being the it's governor California. of California, you have a lot of people that, you know, it's a pretty big government, so you have a pretty good base to pull from. But who was his vice president? George H.W. Bush, a multi-generation uh, uh, member of the deep state, mm -hmm. if you will. You know, his, his dad goes back to the Brown and what, what is it, Brown Bankers and Averill Harriman. I don't Harriman. know, but they talk a great deal about yes, the they, conspiracy they, they, they theories go, that surround the family. Well, not the conspiracy, just the fact that they had worked in the financial center of New York for about three generations, and so they had built up their network before they ever got into elected office. So then George H.W. Bush be, ha, works in the oil industry. He has that, part of the deep state of the 50s and 60s. He works in the CIA, which is connected to United Fruit. Again, part of the deep state. And then he gets uh, into Congress. From there, he becomes a uh, United Nations ambassador. He became ambassador to China. All the time, you're picking up, you know, you're taking your base of the Bush family uh, business and <laughs> adding on to it. And then when George H.W. Bush comes in, he helps Reagan. Uh, uh, put people into to, the bureaucracy. To see now, this now whole Reagan had his own stamp because you got some of those people that like the really uh, extreme for the period of time, uh, agricultural and Department of Interior people like Butts Earl Butts, I think was the agricultural, and then there was another guy that was bald headed that was in the Department of Interior that was considered really radical for the time. But in the places that George H. W. Bush sort of let Reagan do that stuff. But in the State Department, in the you know the Commerce Department, in the in the boring places, the important parts, yes, <laughs> that he was there. <clears throat> and let's just flip this by a couple by a generation to his son George W. Bush. Now, when George W. Bush came in, who did he ask to do the transition? Dick Cheney. Cheney. Dick Cheney had built his whole patronage network up. And his, from when he was in Congress, 
from when he was uh, Secretary, was it Defense? And um, he, he had a couple other um, bureaucratic positions in the first Bush administration where he was building his patronage network. So, but he had an ally <clears throat> in Donald Rumsfeld. So Rumsfeld got defense when they came in as Cheney vice president. And you look when they went to implement the, uh, the invasion of Iraq. You had the State Department stacked. You had the Defense Department stacked. You had the National Security Council stacked. All ready to go and implement the neocon agenda. So you need, oh, Clinton came in amateur hour, but he was a quick learner. So by the time he got through with his second administration, um, he had Clinton incorporated. Mm -hmm. And if Hillary Clinton had come in, you can believe that they would have hit the ground running with 20,000 appointments that would have done whatever the Hillary Clinton agenda was. And I even have, as just a sidelight, was I take a sip of Diet Coke here with the neurotoxins in it that you don't like. <laughs> I do not like those, I can tell you. I'd but, rather have corn syrup. Well, and you will. Uh, the Jennifer Palmieri was uh, at the Center for American Progress. back. It was a new um, think tank. It's around now. Everybody's heard of it now. Yeah. But it, when I was doing my radio show in like 2004, 2005, it was sort of new. And she was one of the communications director. And off the air, she said to me, yeah, we're sort of the White House in waiting here. So you have, that you have your think tanks yep. that have different uh, power uh, patrons, and you know they, they keep their jobs there and keep their livelihood there, and then they they go where they're supposed to go. So that's just one example of it. So if you want a deep state, you need somebody with their own patronage network. You need a Romney family. You need a Bush family. You need a, a Clinton family. You need a... Uh, Kennedy family. So is that how Trump, why Trump used the Federalist Society to sort of dis decide who the appointments were going to be as far as federal judges went? President Trump picked his favorites from Fox News video. Look, it was, he uh, took um, John Bolton because he liked how he, he acted on uh, Fox News. And he, he somehow got, um, Dick Pompeo, or what, Mike Pompeo. Pompeo, Mike Pompeo, Mike Pompeo. Excuse me. Who now? He's a guy that's built his patronage network. I'm surprised he's not running for president this year because he's been CIA director and head of the State Department. Uh, I mean, he's, yeah. he's well, maybe he's, he's just expecting Trump, to, Trump to, to come in and win, and then yeah. and, and you can look at the different generals that uh, Trump appointed. So. It was every the generals power have broker for themselves there. The, the generals have their own patronage network just through the military, right? Is that the uh, the concept here? You have that, but you also have the revolving door. you got to work somewhere when you come out of the military, and you're going to be a consultant for, uh, or maybe even on the board of directors of some of the uh, defense contractors. Uh, you can always make you need a little money on the side. You know, the, the medias will pay you to be an expert. Yep. So, so um, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to get rid of this, though. I mean, you know, the, the libertarian system has always been, well, drive a stake through its heart. Like, this is awful. It's complicated. 
drive a stake through its heart. And that's all they're proposing. It's how things get done. It's how they get done currently. That doesn't make it good. It just makes it how they get done. uh, If you would democratize more as opposed to gerrymand more, as opposed to close elections more, you'll get something a little bit more representative of the people. Now we're the people are idiots. Their IQs are one hundred, and got, half of them are lower than that. All right, I'll I'll leave you to that for this segment because we have a, a lot we can go with over there on the next segment. I've there, there's so much there <laughs> to unpack that we'll, you'll have to restate it when we come back. But I do want to say thank you to Jeremy. And thank you to Skeeter for the voicemails. We are going to play your voicemails sometime soon. If you would like to leave a voicemail for Reigns and Edge, the phone number is 941-799-6033. That's 941-799-6033. And we will actually, speaking of President Trump, we need to look at the... Uh, judicial decision that went against him this week that talk about driving a stake into the heart, drive a stake into Trump Corp, that's even worse than not getting elected. (laughs) And we have that, and of course all the book banning you can count right here on Reigns at Edge. On the Free Talk Live Network. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction and has implemented really cool features to ensure it is undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their chain locks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Big thanks to Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash Dash.org. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction, and its features ensure Dash is undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible, and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their Chainlocks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Big thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org.
It's Rains and Edge on the Free Talk Live Network. I'm Henry Rains. And I'm Mark Edge. And Mark. Sigh. <laughs> you were expanding on your opinion of the average voter. That's right. And could you take us back to that moment, please? Sure. My uh, thesis here is is that uh, the average American is an IQ of 100. And actually, as I understand it, that number is going down a little bit. Um, well, as George Carlin said, the average American means that half of all the other people are stupider. Yeah, something like that. You know how dumb the average person is? And half of them are dumber than that, I believe, is what his uh, premise is. And well, I mine said is, that's much better than I said it. And mine is no different than his, um, really. It's uh, why would you want the... To, to pick the most important position in the world, the President of the United States, and every other uh, position, by polling a bunch of people who are ill-informed, really don't care very much, and not particularly smart. I mean... So you are the same opinion as our founding fathers. Indeed. I am. I was going to. They were my next uh, thing to mention. The founders. Well, I'm glad I grabbed that one first. <laughs> the founders tried to figure out a system. They didn't have an IQ test back then. They tried to figure out a system to say, well, um, maintain George, their hold on power of the deep state of the Southern planters. It, uh, well, George Washington from Virginia was elected by two percent, two point five percent, less than three percent. How's that? Less than three percent of the population of the United States voted to put George Washington in power. And you can go back to all the greats, um, you know, the, the two greatest presidents of all time, uh, neither one of whom were there that many uh, votes for. But uh, in between Washington well, and Lincoln... By, by the way, who are those two? Uh, Washington and Lincoln, um, generally considered the two greats. Oh, I was just... I was surprised that that was going to be your opinion, but... It is. It is I do not hold that opinion. <laughs> but um, Thomas... Excuse me, um, Andrew Jackson uh, ran on, I think he was ninth president, if I'm not mistaken, uh, ran on a platform that everybody should be able to vote. And that was a good way for him to secure power. And that kind of is the result of what we've got today, is that we've got all these people voting. And, and mind you, until this election, which uh, has the, what do they call that, the... Uh, the uninformed voter. It has them has Trump leading with them. I suspect the Democrats won't be trying to get the vote out this particular season, but I could be wrong. Maybe they'll just concentrate on certain zip codes. And go ahead. Well, the, you know when you said that we've getting more and more people voting, and but here locally in this county you sometimes call home, uh, we have more and more people disenfranchised. Sure. And what does disenfranchised mean? People who cannot vote or people who choose not to vote? People who cannot vote because of the way the, the law is manipulated by special rules that few people know about and are designed to not allow other people to vote. So all I know in Florida is, is that they don't allow felons to vote. And Florida is one of the very few states. And many Americans believe that felons can't vote. I believe it's only in two states of the United States. Admittedly, one of them is the third largest. All right. I do want to put a little asterisk that I want to come back to what you were actually saying there. But if you want to know how it gets manipulated down on the nuts and bolts level here in this county, I think we've talked about this before, but 
uh, it, it's in the whole state of Florida, uh, is uh, the write-in uh, loophole, as they call it, the write-in loophole. Okay. All right. In the state of Florida, you have closed primaries like you do in quite a few other states. Some states have open primaries. You know, you just vote, and the, maybe the two top vote-getters go on to the general election, or you, maybe you have a choice to go to one primary or another. You don't have to, you're not locked in. But for, for decades, back since it was a one-party state, as a, a Democratic, Dixiecrat kind of state, uh, the primary election has been closed. So if you and that were, means you have to be a member of a party to vote in that primary. It's more than that. Okay. Um, but yes, that's a, the starting point. So if, if you're a Demo registered Democrat, you would vote in a Democrat primary. A Republican, you would vote in a Republican primary. If you're no party affiliation or independent... You don't vote. Right. You wait for the general election. Now, the obvious problem with that is if there isn't a opposing candidate from a different party, that there won't be an opposition in the, the general election. So we had a constitutional amendment, uh, 1996 I think it was, that would, uh, and actually Florida had quite a few reforms in the 60s, 70s, 80s, up until the 90s, uh, that were opening up government, um, making it more transparent. But anyway, the, the reform was that if there wasn't an opposing candidate, so say there were two Republicans or two Democrats running and no one else, then the independents would get to vote in the primary because the outcome of the election would affect the independents and the outcome of the election would affect people that resided here from the other party. So if you had the two Republicans running, then everybody gets to vote that's registered to vote. And even though it meant you'd have to come early to the primary election to have a say in it, it doesn't mean that they would push it off to the, the general election, but it would open it up. Now, in some cases, when that actually was allowed to happen, it might have gone to the general election, but that's been a moot point for about 20 years. Because after the people voted the constitutional amendment in, the, uh, the, uh, our elected representatives in Tallahassee decided they needed to clarify the reform. Interpreted. No, I think they needed to clarify it okay. and, and, and tweak it. So they made it so that only the people whose names were on the ballot would open up the primary. But if there was a write-in candidate who wouldn't appear on the primary ballot because their name isn't there, their name isn't going to be there on the general election either, but don't, don't look at that little point. But the idea was that, well, since we have a write-in candidate, we want to be fair to the write-in candidate. And we will have a general election where the write-in candidate... Now, it so, was easy... Look, let, me, let me try to get the, a clear picture. Let so, me just say one thing. Okay. So, in other words, the write-in candidate could have been on the primary ballot, too, because there's no write-in candidate's name. There's only a blank line. Right. Okay. So the, um, let's say that we are talking about a largely Republican-controlled, uh, we'll just say red, a largely red party-controlled area, and the Democratic Party didn't do their job and didn't put somebody on the primary ballot. Um, so then the registered Democrats go to the Well, that's not their job, but... 
That's their job. That's their no, only it's, job. It's the job of the candidate to put their name on the ballot. Okay. Um, then they're supposed to get. They're supposed to hold the candidate's hand. Believe me, I've, I've done this with the Libertarians, and the Libertarian Party takes very seriously getting people on the ballot if they can do it. It's much harder for the Libertarians than it is for the Democrats. Um, so they go get the Democrat. They they at this point they have nobody on the ballot. Somebody writes in. They, then a Republican um, says, "All right, so they've got a team of maybe fifty people that vote in uh, the Democratic." Um, primaries so they say all right write in george smith and then they all write in george smith and now george smith is the um candidate for the general the democratic candidate for the general election and then everybody votes no that's nothing like that all right it's much worse all right then explain it to me all right so let's take the real example of this county here but it happens in counties all around the state Although there are a couple counties that I mentioned it to people that live there, and they're like, wow, that's never happened here. And I'm like, well, you're lucky. <laughs> All right. So here in Manatee County, the county commission, it works the same way on the House of Represent- uh, the state House of Representatives, state Senate, any elected office that has partisan labels on it. But the county commission is the easiest one to explain here because there's five districts, and four of them were Republican, one, the African-American district usually voted Democrat. So, and it would happen in, in both sides of the aisle here. So we had uh, someone I went to school with. He had served as a county commissioner for 20 years. He'd been one of the most popular county commissioners. He sometimes said no to developers. Not, he was pro-development. He, you know, he, he had been businesses that prospered because Manatee County grew and prospered too. And you're pointing, pointing out that the, uh, the power in Manatee County comes from the house home builders and building builders. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, but this was 20 years ago. And too. so previous times in the county commission elections, since that 1996 vote, I would get to vote in an election. The independents would get to vote in the election for the county commissioner, which actually has more to do with your life than a lot of stuff that goes on in Washington. Yeah, absolutely, but the vast majority of people can't name their county commissioners, don't know anything about them, and have demonstrated they're not terribly interested in learning. Well, they, they probably can name them better than they can the next congressman's district over. So, But the point being, so this, this person had been reelected by everybody multiple times. So the loophole now for the write-in loophole was done. To, to activate the write-in loophole, the candidate that is the write-in candidate fills out one sheet of paper, does not have to get any signatures to get on the ballot, does not have to pay any money to get on the ballot. But they have to fill out a piece of paper to get written in? To be qualified to be written in. <laughs> because with that little blank line that is going to show up on the general election only people that have filled in that sheet of paper, if their name is written in, do they get counted. All right. So it's, it's not like you can just write in your brother or, or the, your neighbor. You, Fair but, and open but you elections. But ha- you don't get a list of names that are qualified to write in. Right. You just got it. should know it. So what happens then? You've got... Uh, that this time it was roughly even Republicans, Democrats, Independents. Let's say one third, one third, one third. Uh, they activated the the sheet of paper with the write in. Now two thirds of the people don't get to vote, and 
one third do. Well, at this initial time, the Republicans skewed a little bit towards the op my friend's opposition, and it was like a 51% to 49%. Had the the rest of the population of the county voted in, then most likely, like all the other elections, he would have won by a significant margin. So now, what's happened after that... Because there was a, a write-in Democrat that managed no, to No, either party. Okay. It could be a Republican, too. But the, in this case, it was Republican. Well, there were two Republicans running. Right. And then there were no Democrats running. And, and, and either you could put either Republican or Democrat on that sheet of paper, it would close out the primary. So the, what's happened now as we go farther along into other Here's elections. the sheet of paper that I don't understand, though. Is the sheet of paper the write-in sheet of paper? Like the, no. The, the you go down to the supervisor of elections, yep. and you say, I want to be a write-in candidate. Okay. And they hand you the sheet of paper, and you fill it out, and you hand it back, and now you've closed the primary. Got it. So just one person can close a primary. Yes. That's what I needed to know, is how many, how many Americans can does it take in Manatee County to close a primary? And in this case, one. You, no one has to vote for that one person. They just have to fill out a piece Often of Often the person that closes out is an employee of one of the other candidates. Indeed. And sometimes now they have two people do the write-in because you never know when somebody's going to double-cross you and pull their piece of paper back and open up the election for everybody. Right. So now they have an insurance policy by having you know, a couple of those. Well, they're not fools, and any system you know, is going to have tricks to winning. So, well, it would be very simple. We had on the, the ballot in the 2020 election um, a constitutional amendment for the state, and the people voted by the majority, 56 to, to whatever, 44% to overturn, but we require a Overturn what? Overturn the loophole uh, for the write-in candidate. And? But it requires 60% in this uh, state now because we reformed the constitutional amendment process yes. a few years ago too. But they were both the Republicans and the Democrats were um, willing accomplices at the highest level, at the state party level, because they said... Uh, well, this is just, uh, you know, we won't get the Democrats elected. It really it was because we'd rather have our little pieces of pie that don't amount to much than risk having no pie at all and opening up the elections for all the people. So my mom, uh, who I grew up here in Florida, and this uh, system was in place that whole time, as I understand it, my mom basically said, look, um, you know, I consider myself to be an independent I'm going to vote for the best person for the job. You've heard it a hundred times. Yes. Um, the but I register Republican so I can vote in a primary. Now my question would be: All these people that claim to be independents really are just claiming to be apathetic in the state of Florida because they haven't gone. I mean, you know, it doesn't take too much reasoning to understand. I will not get to a primaries are more important than general elections in choosing politicians. B, I won't get to vote in primaries if I don't have don't pick one of the two uh, groups of liars and thieves. Well, except then you also won't get to vote in the national elections and your primary. So the your there's no value in the state of Florida to being an independent, is what my claim is. The people uh, do it all the time. A third of the population yeah. does it. 
I, I, it, I don't understand the bene- what the benefit would be, but they have the right to not declare themselves as a Republican sure. or Democrat. So, and they sh- that doesn't shouldn't ex- preclude them from being able to vote for the people that govern them. Also, um, you know, one of the really difficult parts is that libertarians, um, if you register libertarian in the state of Florida, you're never going to get to vote in a primary because there's never going to be a libertarian primary. So you're stuck in the two-party system, and it benefits you to be, if you're going to vote, uh, be part of the two-party system. Now, I sold my vote, and I'm done, but... And by sold, I mean I moved to a U.S. territory for tax benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, happy with that. But, um, yeah, I, I think that if you don't want this system to, to come and bite you, you need to work. You need to play the game. If you're, if you're out there running around on a racquetball so, court thinking you're playing basketball, you're going to lose. So the point is, though, as you said, less people should vote. Fewer. I said... Less people or fewer? Less of the population should vote. Fewer people should vote. Sorry. A lesser fewer of? (laughs) Everybody's got their idiosyncrasy. That's mine. All right. You wanted less, fewer people voting. That's correct. And I'm saying if you want to overcome the deep state, you need more people voting and more, more, and even more relevancy in our local area here where the deep state is a a group of about three or four development companies you really need everybody voting to overturn what has happened in just the last few years to this county that's horrendous without going hyper local again on this show well i would distinguish that um the that the uh Companies, the, these development companies, are the kingmakers. They're the power brokers. They're the um, the powerful. They're not the deep state. The deep state, to me, must be a bureaucrat, must be a government employee, um, in order to do the thing that they're doing. Now, um, can something be deeper than the deep state? Sure, but the deep state has a definition, and to me, that definition means a bureaucrat. In the election of 2020, where the developers were able to get a sweep of four of their candidates. And we're still talking about all Republicans. But these were just that much more in (laughs) their pocket. Republicans. Yes. In in fact, all of the county commissioners now have the same political consultant. One political consultant is the hired (laughs) To rule them all. Uh, Yes. Uh, although this, there's the, we now have a 6-1 vote on the county commission here because one uh, county commissioner has realized he isn't, he just can't go far enough. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. So he's now the Lone Ranger. But he probably won't have that consultant anymore. But the, anyway, the, the point being is, you know, you talk about the bureaucracy. Well, we have a billion-dollar budget in this county for the county government. Forget the all the city municipalities that have their own budgets. When they got their control over the uh, county commission in total, they immediately uh, moved to fire the county administrator who had worked her way up over over 20 years in the system, and installed their own, who um, has since had to to resign uh, suddenly, and but. In his two years, 
he managed to drive off 500 of those so-called bureaucrats, uh, that institutional knowledge of how the county runs and how the potholes get fixed and, and how the water plant stays pumping decent water. And all those bureaucrats that are, you say, are like a pejorative, they, they are the ones that make things work. So now we have, we have a third of the county uh, bureaucrats missing, and the county is not running well and is going downhill fast. I think that's it. You think that the term deep state and the term bureaucrat are pejoratives, whereas I'm using them as simply definitional terms. No, I think the terms. way you use them are pejoratives. Well, I think that they um, they certainly have... Uh, what, what, gee, how surprising that I think when I hear bureaucrat come out of a libertarian's <laughs> mouth that it's a negative connotation behind it. Well, um, it has whatever the negative connotations it has, but... I mean, a bureaucrat's a bureaucrat, right? Like it has a, it's, it's a term with a definition. Admittedly. Well, that's what I was saying earlier, but you seem to disagree then. Government employee and bureaucrat are synonymous in my mind, but there's lots of synonymous terms in English. All right. And your point? No, that's Besides it. that, is that the point? <laughs> that's the point. So do you want me to read this story from uh, down Well, you sure DC? want to, so I think you should. It's brief. It's just from their newsletter here. And by the way, you can go get, sign up for their newsletter at downsizedc.org. Researchers at the National Bureau of Economic Research report the following results. 50%, 5-0% of bureaucrats from 1997 to 2019 were Democrats, which I guess isn't too big if the other 50% was Republicans, but not so. Or you could at least say the other 50% are non-Democrats then. <laughs> 32% were Republicans in 1997, and that number fell to 26% by 2019. So I guess the rest are independents. The percentage of Democrats increases for the higher positions. Highly educated Democrats seek bureaucratic jobs more often than highly educated Republicans. Republicans leave bureaucratic employment more often than Democrats, probably to seek, uh, you know, <laughs> positions within the free market. Um, and then the political alignment of the bureaucracy doesn't change much when a new president is elected. Needless to say, the representation of libertarians in the bureaucracy is likely to be vanishingly small. In other words, uh, bureaucracy is strongly left-leaning. But does this imbalance affect policy? You bet it does. For one thing, the study finds that Government projects tend to be more expensive when the bureaucrats who run them are of a different party than the president. But the problem is likely worse than that. I think bureaucrats uh, tend to promote their own policy preferences even when the president wants something else or when the enabling legislation Congress passed had a different intent. You could probably find numerous examples just by following the news closely, and it's probably been happening since the advent of the administrative state during the progressive era. So um, I think we've got the general gist of what Downsize DC is trying to, uh, to say here. I guess we do. <laughs> well, would you agree that Democrats tend to seek government positions more often than well, Republicans? I would suggest on a that people that want government jobs aren't going to align themselves with the party that's saying they want to fire those people in the government jobs. <laughs> so there's a certain self-interest there uh, beyond that. Uh, I want to say that uh, we're coming up on some uh, important messages here that we're going to want everybody to listen to. But when we come back, we've got mail. Oh, boy. Voicemail. 
uh, of some. And I also have a counterpoint to your story uh, about when you restrict and try and have fewer people voting that, that we can talk about also. And we still have to get to the bad news for former President Trump and what that may mean for Trump Corp. That is very important. we got to get to yes. that. Oh, and Governor DeSantis has agreed to debate Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. So we got that, too. You're listening to Reigns at Edge on the Free Talk Live Network. Some of you have wanted to support Free Talk Live's mission on a monthly basis, but don't want to support Patreon. Now we have an alternative that also helps our premier streaming platform, Odyssey. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join at the top of the channel. You can subscribe for $5 per month, and unlike other subscription services, Odyssey adds their processing fee on top, so it'll cost a little over $5 per month, but Free Talk Live will receive the entire amount you pledged. Higher donation tiers are available if you're feeling so inspired. You'll get a special membership badge that's visible in the Odyssey chat room, and if we get enough supporters, we may enable members-only chat. This new subscription method is a great way to decentralize our direct listener support away from just Patreon and also support a libertarian-run business, Odyssey. Please visit video.freetalklive.com and click join to subscribe to our Odyssey channel and help support spreading our message around the planet. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join today. Free Talk Live. Welcome to Reigns and Edge on the Free Talk Live network. I'm Henry Reigns. I'm Mark Edge. And we just blew through the first hour of this show, and I think we really had a lot about the deep state, a lot about who should vote, who shouldn't vote. And one of the things, Mark, that it's surprising, this, this concept is surprising to some people. I found the out. Is, I just, what? This concept. What is well, this? Well, I'm about to tell you this concept okay. that your life experience changes. Uh, how you your conclusions on different things? Sure. So you have a point of view and a conclusion about the, who should vote or fewer people should vote, however you want to phrase it. And I have a different point of view because, well, you may have noticed this. I'm older than you, um, not as much as I used to be, but it's it's <laughs> not uh, as a percentage. Yes, we're, 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 we're soon we'll be virtually the same age. A <laughs> hundred years from now, you won't even be able to tell the difference between us. <laughs> And we'll both be quite dead. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of ma- modern medicine has quite a few uh, surprises sure, in store be, for us all. Sure, if the government sure. bureaucracy got out of the way. Uh, well, don't try and get me to digress. <laughs> so, but I come, grew up uh, in the age of the, well, I was born in 1957. So early 60s would have seen the Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, we we're all going to die. Uh, the Martin Luther King Jr. rise to prominence. The, the Civil Rights Movement, the Civil Rights Act of 64, the Voting Rights Act of 65. I may have those backwards. But, uh, and then, of course, the Vietnam War and the uh, 50,000 that died and millions of Vietnamese that died. Those had a profound effect on how I view politics. And uh, 
you you you're, you're, I won't try and say whatever has influenced you, but I'm sure there's profound influences in your experiential life that have made you. Robert Reich has a, an anecdote that he put out on his Substack this this week, and it really speaks to why I would say yes, we need to have more people voting. We need greater participation by the population. Uh, A, simply because if you're going to govern someone, I think you should have the consent of the governed. But he, Robert Reich was the Secretary of Labor under President Clinton, and he was, he's a very short man. Yes. I don't think he would be uh, too upset for me saying that because he says that about himself. So not only is he a short... I think he's as short as you can be without being a little person. I, I would say he, he he's may... Not, I don't know if he's five feet tall. No, he has to be five feet tall. I, I don't know. No, maybe Wait, he's less than five. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, now, now you're going to take me off into okay, some ahead. ethnic... Uh, uh, here in Florida, you know, we have a, a lot of Spanish-speaking people that have come from lots of different areas sure. of South America and Latin America. And it seems like there are certain groups of people that have come from, uh, like, indigenous tribes, uh, whether it be in Mexico or maybe somewhere, that seem to be significantly shorter than the other immigrants that have come. That, um, Agreed. You know, you know, you'll see people in that category of right around five feet tall. Yeah. Um, well, so you can imagine when Robert Reich was in kindergarten, he was really small. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Uh, well, <laughs> you can take his word for it. He okay. said he got picked on all the time, and that in kindergarten, the second and third graders wouldn't let him use the restroom, and uh, they used to sing, Shrimp Boats Are A-Coming, if you, uh, that was an old I'm folk song. I'm not familiar song. with the song, no. Oh, well, I won't try and sing it for you. <laughs> Thanks. But, yeah, you, you'll have plenty of time to look it up. Anyway, he would eventually have to get older boys... Um, that would escort him to the restroom. Uh, and by older boys, so he's kindergarten, first grade, there would be a, like a third grader or something that would walk with him. Yep. And first they had to be willing to do that. Maybe they just like getting out of class. I, I don't know. But eventually he, he got in a situation where there were older boys around. And he talks about this uh, one protector named Mickey. I don't recall asking Mickey to protect me. He wasn't the kind of hulking kid I usually chose as a protector. He was on the short side and thin, and I don't remember Mickey putting up any kind of uh, fight to defend me or even quieting the kids who made fun of me. But I do remember Mickey's warmth and reassuring presence. His calm good nature seemed to automatically cast a positive spell over kids who'd otherwise turn to bullying. In it wasn't until September of 64, you know, time went on, other, he goes into other grades and different protectors. It, until September of 64, my freshman year in college, that I heard what happened to him. Early that summer, Mickey had traveled to Mississippi to register black voters. The civil rights movement was in full bloom. Martin Luther King Jr. had given his famous I Have a Dream speech at the August 1963 March on Washington as 250,000 people gathered before him at the Lincoln Memorial. Yet the South remained segregated, especially when it came to voting, where poll taxes, literary tests, and violence were intended to silence and intimidate black citizens. Although about 40% of Mississippi's population was black, fewer than 7% were registered to vote. 
The system was enforced by white supremacists who would commit crimes with impunity because the entire region had become a one-party state. Freedom Summer of 1964 brought together college students to work with black people from Mississippi to register black voters under the aegis of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC. Mickey, <coughs> excuse me, whose full name was Michael Schwarmer, was among the first wave of volunteers to arrive in Mississippi. On the afternoon of June 21st, he and two other student volunteers, Andrew Goodman, who was also white, and James Cheney, a young black man, were driving near Philadelphia, Mississippi, when Neshosha, Neshoba, excuse me, County Sheriff Cecil Ray Price stopped them for allegedly speeding. Price locked them up in the local jail. That night, after they paid their speeding ticket and left the jail, Price followed them in his police car, stopped them again, ordered them into his car, and took them down a deserted road where he turned them over to a group of his fellow Ku Klux Klan members. The group beat Mickey, Goodman, and Cheney with chains. They then murdered them, and they buried their bodies in an earthen dam that was then under construction. For weeks, no one knew what had happened to the three missing voting rights workers. Lyndon Johnson used concern over their disappearance to pressure the House in the past, the House to pass the Civil Rights Act of 1964 into law on July 2nd. But just before he signed the bill, Johnson addressed the American people on television to talk to you about what that law means to every American. And I could go on to read that, but it's not about what Lyndon Johnson said. It's about the only check you have on the tyranny of a small minority is to let as many people vote as are eligible to vote. And there was, that was ingrained for hundreds of years, ever since the Civil War. The, the, you, you, there was no option for the concerned and informed p- person to vote. And I heard over and over as a young child, well, someday they'll be ready. Someday they'll be ready. Is that and, meaning the black voters will be ready to vote? And, or, and go to school with you and eat at the t- lunch counter with us. Okay. But they, they have to be ready for society. You know, yeah, I, I understand why it's frustrating when people that seem to uh, be ignorant or, uh, you know, ha- whatever the issue is. But I've seen the willingness to commit the violence. I've sat around the, as a kid uh, at the dinner table with a, w- people who would be considered the leaders of that little community, whatever I was in the South. And they were so ready to commit violence against people. So I, I say, let them vote. Indeed, um, the you know things have changed, right? Like just in the time. Have they? Well, you're fifty, born in fifty-seven. I was born in seventy-one. I certainly have seen racism in my life, but I've seen it from both sides. Um, I'd like it's not exclusively a white thing. Um, certainly, it can go in other directions. And I think when we separate by race, that we're worse off. That generally, if you just let people say, hey, you know, those other people over there, whomever, the other, they are unacceptable, they are bad, whatever it is, we shouldn't hang out with them. Once you have that going on, that you're going to have bad uh, stuff happening. However, I would also, I still think, like, it's frustrating for me whenever I mention, you know, we should have some kind of test, a test based on wisdom and or uh, intelligence, not based on skin color, that determines whether or not a person. The is literacy tests weren't based on 
Have you seen the literacy tests? Well, they there was a grandfather clause. <laughs> I don't know what that means. That means if your grandfather could vote, you could vote. Okay. Um, the literacy test specifically. But I, I see the restrictions coming in on, I told you about the local, to, the, to disenfranchise people here. It doesn't have to do with the color of their skin. It has to do with their point of view. We and, have currently a literacy test to decide whether or not Americans can vote, whether, whether or not people can vote. We have that already. It exists. We call it the United States Citizenship Exam. You cannot be born in wherever in the world and vote in a U.S. um, election unless you take this test. And I say, let's apply that test to everybody. Let's do it. Let's apply it every time. Because if you don't know who the seated vice president is, maybe your opinion as to who the next one's going to be is invalid. Maybe your opinion about whether the system is treating you unjustly or not gives you a right to make that vote, that you are governed by it, you're paying taxes into it, you get a say. Certainly. The, the system's going to treat you well, unjustly. Right now, I see things turning, the clock turning back. I see voters being restricted. I see the talk of violence, whether it's the Proud Boys or the others, uh, that you see... online and in social media i see things getting worse you can see things a different way well whether whether or not it's getting worse and what direction it's going i don't know um i don't know for one how many of those proud boys are federal informants trying to whip other people up and that leaves me uh very confused well considering that sarasota county has one of the biggest proud boy active proud boy groups uh there's plenty of real proud boys around. Well, they never rung me up. <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's go to a voicemail. And we've got, again, a voicemail line so you can be heard. Eventually, one of these people is going to get heard. Uh, I think Jeremy may be the first one to be heard. He, he, he not only is the first person to talk to you about Bitcoin on Free Talk Live. Yep, on the air. He's going to be the first one to be played from our... Reigns and Edge voicemail line, 941-799-6033, 941-799-6033, and let's hope this works. Um, Mark, if you don't hear this when I hit the play button, you, I, I know it'll play in my headset. And, I'm, and you look over here and see if we're getting a nice little sound wave from it all. And you can't hear it? No, I'm saying that uh, my headset is attached to the same port as your headset, so I can't actually uh, I, 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 That's why I'm anticipating that you're going to be able to hear it. But I won't be able to look over my shoulder to see the sound wave that it's actually getting recorded. But, Jeremy, it's, it's one small sound bite <laughs> for humanity, one giant leap for your legacy. Hey, it's Jeremy West, who Mark says made him a rich man. I don't know if that's exactly what he said, but uh, I want to take Mark up on that generous offer that Henry made on the show, and I love it already. <laughs> <laughs> right, take Mark up on yes, the offer. That I will make more offers for you. <laughs> Call now, and Mark will will name his grandchild after you. The first ten people to call will get the grandchild's name. Okay, let's continue, Jeremy. He is, I can send 24 cents, which is, or a dollar even, I don't know. 24 cents is what Bitcoin was worth when I first found it. It was somewhere between that and a dollar, I think, when I mentioned it on Free Talk Live. Who knows? It could be $10. 
Tell you what, I'll pay $10 for a Bitcoin from Deal. Mark. And um, <laughs> I've got Mark's email address. I can send $10 uh, to PayPal, maybe. Just let me know the best way to do it on the show. And he can send... I will put some crypto addresses up. Yeah, Jeremy. I'm glad you're doing it for the good Jeremy of the show Lynch. here. <laughs> and oh, well, Mark said he doesn't have enough to send me a Bitcoin um, or to be that generous. So if anybody else out there was made rich by me <laughs> so mentioning Bitcoin on free talk, everybody life, send Jeremy I unfortunately did not amass a huge amount of them while they're at their lows. I didn't have money to put into them at that time. I uh, made some money in Bitcoin, but then I did live off it for... I was one of the first people to invite Mark on another radio show to talk about Bitcoin in 2012. So anybody that wants to send me money, you'll have my eternal gratitude. Mm-hmm. If m- money, you can Venmo me, you can sell me, you can send... I'll accept crypto. Years, and I've got none left. So I, I know you will, Jeremy. People, I'm begging you here. JeremyWest.net. Love you guys. By the way, uh, you might want to put the toll-free number in the description for the show. I don't know about fantastic. that. Because uh, that way people can see it without having to go back and listen to I, find it. Anyway, put as much or as little of this as you want. One eight hundred. I'm begging you guys, and you're doing great work. Um, Henry's politics might suck, but he's pretty funny guy in my opinion. (laughs) He's pretty funny guy. Bye. And 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 allow me to butter your bread here briefly, if I may, Henry. Um, You know, you being a Democrat has nothing to do with the immense amount of respect that I have for you, both as a person, because I mean more or less you're my father figure i I know that this isn't the the greatest thing to get told by a younger friend of yours but it's true my dad's dead um you know you're the the only older guy i got to you know that to hang out with um and uh it's it's strange we both entered uh, radio separately not even together you just we both ended up here so it's kind of strange I'll tell you another thing is strange. Jeremy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jeremy was not done. <laughs> Jeremy called back. Called back. <laughs> Let me see what Jeremy had to say here. Hey, one other thing. This is Jeremy West again. One other thing I forgot to say. I have taken over the Free Talk Live TikTok channel. So I'm posting there a few clips every day. Now, I... Free Talk Live TikTok channel. Are you? Do you spend a lot of time on there, Mark? No, I don't even have the app downloaded. Well, you don't have to. You can go to the website and do it. I wouldn't download the app too. But I would rather use my browser. Never where, done that. Where my virus, antivirus stuff can work on it and stuff. Not familiar. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just haven't done it. You haven't even. You, you don't even know what they're saying about you. Uh, no. No, I, I watch my TikToks, uh, you know, weeks later on Instagram like an adult does. Um, we may have to do something about that a little later in this show. All right. Day, and that's something else that people can tip me in crypto for, because <laughs> I'm trying to get more people to listen to Free Talk Live, to find it on TikTok. So, please like, uh, so please follow Free Talk, at Free Talk Live on TikTok. And like all the videos that are on there so that we can get the numbers up 
and more young people. Because I'm 45, but I've, I'm trying to figure out TikTok so I can talk to a young So you had a, a youthful 45-year-old running that TikTok channel for you. <laughs> well, probably comes to work more regularly than any uh, 25-year-old does. Oh, uh, ageism. <laughs> the more remarks. young people can hear about freedom. Might not be able to take over MySpace, but we can take over TikTok <laughs> at Free Talk Live on TikTok. Well, he's probably right about that. MySpace <laughs> that blocked us. Is Elon Musk? Can any you've heard, we we haven't even plugged the cage fight this week? <laughs> oh I was hoping you'd forgotten about it. Yeah, well, luckily there's Jeremy there to keep on top of things. So is is uh, Elon Musk supposed to get a hold of us in some manner? I mean, we I was hoping the media would get a hold of us. I see, but I can I can see. Uh, well, now we have Jeremy promoting it on TikTok. <laughs> I'm sure from from my lips to his ears, uh, we'll 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 get this thing moving. I did. By the way, if you look, we're we're almost out of this segment. Uh, if you look. By the way, it, you know you can find on uh, FTL.FM. You can get that whole three-hour block of us and just sit there and, like, on your commute. You can just use it all the way through your commute. But if you need it in more digestible segments, if you look on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anyplace else for Reigns and Edge, you'll find uh, us in the individual six segments that the show is made up of. And also, there, there's usually a different thumbnail photo that I put for each segment, something relevant to what we were talking about. And the second segment from last week, we talked about Carl Gotch and the training that uh, we were going to be working with you on. Carl Gotch's legacy and I were going to work with you to help you get ready from us. But the second segment from last week shows... Uh, Carl Gotch doing a beautiful uh, German suplex. Yeah, I thought that was a really great thumbnail. And I didn't, I wasn't able to get this one to fit in there, so that's why I chose that one. But there actually is, and if you um, Google Carl Gotch uh, suplex images, there is an image of him suplexing Andre the Giant like that. Wow. When Andre the before Andre the Giant was Andre the Giant, he was called uh, I think uh, Rusimov the Monster or something like that. It was before, really would have been like in the sixties when he, and not when and also when Andre the Giant was uh, a athletic looking build and all muscle and stuff and was actually a you know he went and because Carl Gotch put him there hmm. and. You can hear Hulk Hogan talk about bringing the big Andre the Giant up at the Superdome to slam him in the 93,000, yada, yada, yada. But when Carl Gotch lifted him up and arched his back and that 400 pounds came down and caught the shoulders of Andre, but also the forehead of uh, Gotch, as you can see how he did on those, uh, those suplexes back then, it was quite the sight. I'm curious, this uh, Gotch fellow. I mean, uh, I mean, jujitsu that we have today is to, it's wrestling, basically. What? But it's the work of some men that are. I think they're still alive, right? The Gracies, um, the Gracie brothers, and Brazilian jujitsu. Brazilian jujitsu. What? 
is this Gotch guy have somebody who's you know carried on the torch for him since that or no? This well, just kind of died with. Uh, him. It's not a long story, but it's longer than twenty seconds, and so we'll have to catch up on that on the other side of these message- messages, uh, and. We're going to talk about President Trump, too, Mark. Don't you worry. I really want to. Uh, You've been listening to Reigns and Edge on the Free Talk Live Network. It's Reigns and Edge on the Free Talk Live Network. I'm Henry Reigns. I'm Mark Edge. And Mark wanted to know about Carl Gotch. This is Carl with a K. K K-A-R-L-E-O-T-C-H because I know people will be searching for this name. Carl Gotch was pretty much one of the most dangerous people in professional wrestling in the 50s and 60s and into the 70s. And what do you mean by that statement, most dangerous? Because he did what he wanted and not what he was told. Okay. And, for example, uh, there is a story. Buddy Rogers was uh, NWA world champion. And there was some issue. That, now, this is, Carl Gotch later denied anything like this ever happened. But one promoter was having a problem with uh, Buddy Rogers. See, when it was more like the mafia and you had territories, uh-huh. the, the, the champion would go into the different territories and do business with whoever the head promoter was. And, you know, usually what that enti- uh, meant was if the, the champion, like Luthez was many, many years a, a champion in the 40s and 50s, and, and he would be, if people of that era considered him very legitimate as a champion. And he, he carried himself that way. He always wore a suit and uh, maintained his decorum, etc. And he, he could work heel or babyface subtly. He, he wouldn't do an over-the-top character like a gorgeous George or something like that. So if you go into, the say, the Kansas Territory and they had a, a white-bred babyface that uh, they wanted to draw a big crowd to see if he could beat the champion. Well, then Luthez would work as a, a subtle heel, like maybe cheat just a little bit. Yeah. You know, not nothing. <laughs> or, or just, you know, maybe do a cheap shot or something like that, but not like uh, a nut shot or, or anything like that. Just like quick off the break or something like that. And that would be enough in those days to turn the crowd against you. Or on the other side, if it was uh, the top, like the Sheik in Detroit, uh, you know, who, who actually was a little over the top. Well, uh, Luthez could uh, adapt to that. And the point was they, they wanted somebody that could, have, could protect themselves in a double cross. So Carl Gotch was, uh, he wasn't... What a, does that mean, protect yourself in a double cross? I'm trying to understand what that means. Because um, you could go into a territory and lose the title... And that promoter would gain control of the championship. I see. And if he didn't want to do business with the other promoters, uh, there there could be problems. Now, normally that wouldn't happen. The NWA was a group that was based out of St. Louis. And what's that stand for, NWA? National Wrestling Alliance. Got it. 
Um, there was a group, that was the biggest one. And they had representation in California and Florida throughout the South. Um, for a while, even Vince McMahon Sr. was part of the group. Uh, for a long time, Vince McMahon. So they would have had representation in New York. But, you know, you go to Minneapolis, Chicago, there was a different group there. And uh, there were other world champions, a couple other world champions that some carried some legitimacy. Well, Carl Gotch wouldn't put people over. What well, does put people over me? Uh, allow them to win. Okay. Uh, I mean, occasionally, he, it had to be on his terms, in other words. Right. And Carl Gotch was uh, pretty much blackballed in the U.S. because uh, other than to be an enforcer for a promoter, uh, nobody wanted, because once they put the belt on him, they knew that he's they, never going to let it go. Yeah, unless he wanted to. Right. Uh, so he wound up making a name for himself in Japan bigger than in the U.S. Uh, you know, this would have been, you know, you've got to remember the 50s, you know, it was only five, ten years after World War II. Japan is rebuilding. Uh, Japan is making uh, the pro wrestling industry uh, and the um, Yakuza were involved with the pro wrestling uh, industry over there. So there's, there's I'm sure this, organized crime is. This has to be a one-off. Organized well, crime would well, never get well, involved. Well, Ricky Dozon was the the first um, uh, champion in Japan, the, the the iconic champion in Japan after World War um, II, and he made his reputation by defeating the the Gaijin, the the white monsters that would come over and face the the home. Japanese hero, and they, and that was a whole genre of that wrestling. Is they had a group of big white and occasionally black, but mainly white in those years, uh, wrestling monsters that would come over, and but Ricky and he Dozon, just beat them all, and that was the uh, well was until the show. he until he was murdered Ooh. in a restaurant when he was sitting at the bar by a yakuza that came up and stabbed him with a long knife. Right there in the restaurant, and he died. Huh. Then it then it split into two um, rival groups. Um, there was Giant Baba's group, All Japan Wrestling, and then there was New Japan Wrestling, which was Antonio Inoki. And you would know Antonio Inoki if you remember the Muhammad Ali Antonio Inoki mixed martial arts that was a pay per view on closed circuit. Yes, Muhammad Ali when he got out of prison for um, draft evasion. Uh, needed to make money, and uh, Antonio Inoki, he was a hero in Japan. Actually, I think he was a member of the uh, what they call their parliament. <coughs> so he was a wealthy man, but he wanted the stature of facing Muhammad Ali. And so, if anybody that remembers that, you can find this on on YouTube, and you can see what what basically Muhammad Ali's people and Antonio Inoki's people couldn't agree to do business. And is this because they couldn't agree who was going to win? Well, actually they had an agreement but neither one trusted the other to follow it. I see. So that's why you had uh, and, and Muhammad Ali had boxing gloves on, so he was already at a disadvantage. Yeah. Um, so he would never get close enough other than striking distance from Anoki where Anoki could grab him. And finally Anoki started laying on the ground. And this was not the best pay-per-view uh, extravaganza in the closed circuit era. But, you know, and, and even if uh, 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 Ali tried to come up and kick 
Anoki's legs, that, that was a bad move too because he could be pulled down and submitted right there. So what does this have to do with Carl Gotch? Well, Carl Gotch was the policeman for Antonio Anoki. The policeman was the person that would travel with the champion to make sure if there were any double crosses that things didn't double cross. And so Carl Gotch was the, the corner man for Antonio Anoki, and if anything had gone down, Anoki uh, relied and counted on Gotch to go into the ring, no matter what the security situation was, yeah. and Get protect him, him yeah. and straighten things out. Hmm. And uh, the, I, I was watching uh, Anoki taking... So this is what I'm, uh, somebody being in your corner means, is, is that they're, they're for you no matter what. Uh, no. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, a, that's the common use of it. But being in the corner was not the same as being the policeman. Okay. Policeman means you go in and you, you take whatever damage it is to protect the champion. But uh, and if you, I found on YouTube uh, uh, Gotch in his prime taking Anoki through a, a, one of his workouts. So anyway, when, when Gotch went to Japan and uh, decided to make a name for himself that... Uh, and this comes to your mixed martial arts aspect and the jujitsu and how did this stuff all come to be? Because uh, he had no place to really to go in uh, the U.S. He would go to different dojos uh, in Japan, just spontaneously go there. I mean, eventually the press started following him. Yeah. And he would challenge the sensei or the Ooh. leader of the, that dojo to... Uh, a Combat, sort of yes. For and money? For pride. Okay. And, you know, your, all your students are there and you, your reputation is there. Now, yeah, the first couple do? times it happens, maybe you just, you know, it's this crazy gaijin. You know, you teach him a lesson and then you don't teach him a lesson. And then it happens a couple more times around the country and now the media starts to know. Yeah. And now the media starts to follow him. He was actually uh, titled as the god of wrestling in Japan. Mm. He, he, he had that kind of stature there. And um, if he was, uh, I got to see him in the last couple of years of his life as he trained the early, they weren't UFC fighters then. They were the, but the forerunners of mixed martial arts um, shows in the United States were New Japan was, and, and Noki was gone then, uh, but this was a group called uh, Fujiwara uh, UWF. One of the wrestlers that you know had broken off, and they had created this mixed martial arts format for wrestling, and they had also adopted where they had a stable of Japanese young men and a sta stable of, uh, well, there were, by then they didn't all have to be white, they had the black wrestler and the Latino wrestler and stuff like that. But they had a group that they trained at the same place I learned to wrestle at the Malenko Wrestling School up in Tampa. And he was good friends with Carl Gotch so, and had connections with the Japanese. So they would use his students that were qualified and send them once a month to Japan. And this was like 1989. So they would spend a weekend in Japan, all expense paid, be paid $1,000 for a match. Which you know, someone were like driving Pepsi trucks and stuff like sure. that. So that it's was a big deal. Yeah, a thousand bucks in 1989 is a 
a lot of money. Yeah, for a weekend. Yeah, uh, and you do it once a month. That that changes your. That might be in, a week, income. a month's worth of pay. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, one of the people that I saw flying in most weekends to train with Gotch was a guy named Ken Shamrock, oh, who wow. went on to become one of the. The, the first that was UFC. what I was going to mention is, yeah. is that um, Ken Shamrock was the guy, he was the wrestler, that in the first handful of UFCs was the only one that was able to give uh, Gracie basically a run for his money. And yeah. he lost both times, but you know he's never really given up that he lost. I think he did lose. Um, but nonetheless, he was the only one who was able to give him a run for his money at all. Um, so, And as far as I know... Um, the I announced I'd ring announced the very first mixed martial arts event in the United States at the Knight Center in Miami, where they held their first um, first event in the U.S. The Fujiwara Group and the with their U.S. Uh, fighters and their Japanese fighters, and uh, Roberto Duran was sitting directly opposite me. I sat at ringside, and he was in the first row directly. Uh, Opposite me because they had now. This was after Roberto Duran was Duran was fired, uh, not fired, but retired, and he uh, he had signed a contract to do a match with them over in Japan for, I imagine, quite a good payday. And uh, I saw the tape of it. He, he he got beat, but they made it look like they had just beat Muhammad Ali. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sitting across from him while. He and his friend are there ringside, and his eyes keep getting bigger as he sees, because nobody had seen mixed martial arts in the U.S. before. And even videotape wasn't that common in, you know, 1989, 1990. It wasn't shown on Wide World of Sports or anything like that. And his, his buddy was like, kept nudging him in the ribs, like, that's going to be you. That's going to be you. <laughs> and Brian just sort of looked down and shook his head. And what was Duran? Uh, was he? He was, I think, a middleweight champion. But, but he had formed professional wrestling, uh, boxing, boxing. Okay. And uh, he was famous for his uh, one for not throwing in the towel, but uh, effectively throwing in the towel, going no mas, no mas. Uh, when some some uh, some match, some boxing match he was in, I forget okay. now. But, well, there you go. So, and I also before UFC, I had. My, my video group, the, not my group, but the group I hired to do our, our video show, our TV show for the pro wrestling, I had uh, had a meeting with them and the Japanese liaison here in the U.S. to try and do a, uh, a pay-per-view that was of uh, mixed martial arts. Oh, you could have beat them out. You could have been the first UFC. Yeah, it could have been changed history. Gosh darn it. Well, there you go. Um, so this Gotch guy was basically a professional wrestler who could really wrestle. He, he, he wrestled in the Olympics. He didn't win. But he went to the, the, what they called the snake pit over in Wigan, England, which was just notorious for um, catch-as-catch-in catch wrestling with basically no rules wrestling. And you... Uh, that's what I was trying to tell you. So when you get must down on the ground, you bite a hole in his cheek, and he's going to submit. I bet he will. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he doesn't have a policeman like Gotch with him. <laughs> right. So 
Wow, we blew through a bunch of a segment there, and I know Mark has other stuff he wanted to talk about. Well, specifically, I want to talk about this Donald Trump thing. I'm very curious uh, what's going on with his case, yeah. because it sounds like it's going to be a big deal as far as um, the outcomes with uh, Well, I think this hurts him where it really counts, in the, in the wallet. And, you know, you can make a lot of things political, and I'm sure he'll make this political. He's already been trying to make it political. But this is the, the fraud allegations. So, uh, Can you former, help me out with what the fraud allegations are? I'm going yeah. to do that right now. Uh, former President Donald Trump, his top executives and heirs were declared completely liable of, quote, persistent and repeated fraud, and their, the real estate empire was unceremoniously stripped of its business licenses in New York after a judge's powerful ruling Tuesday ahead of a massive trial that seeks to hit them with more than $250 million in penalties for bank fraud. Now, you say, well, it's a decision. Actually, this is a non-jury trial. Because this is a civil case on fraud, in real estate fraud, uh, it is a judge trial where the judge d hears the arguments and makes a determination. But he has already made an initial preliminary determination this week which then sets the parameters of what they're supposed to argue about in the, the, the rest of the trial. And I have come out many times against juries here on Free Talk Live, and I would prefer to have an expert, um, whether that expert rules in my favor or not, at the very least I feel like I want an expert. I'd rather have a panel of three judges uh, judging me if the case was large enough, and I think in the case of felonies, if you're going to take somebody's freedom away, you should have a three-judge panel. In the case of some real estate fraud, maybe one judge makes sense. And, and, and uh, now all these adjectives are the uh, from the Yahoo story that I'm reading. In a stunning <laughs> the development, AI that, work, that works for Yahoo. The judge, well, it's probably from Vox, I think, is the original source on this. In a stunning development, the judge has already ordered the complete dissolution of the fabled Trump organization. The tycoon's pride and joy, the empire that made him famous and elevated him into the White House. A little bit of spin there. Uh, the Trump Organization and its sister companies will be sent into receivership to be under the control of a court-appointed officer. Mm. Ouch. Now, now, this is just the New York companies, or the company is from New York, The, the right? crimes were in New York. Okay. Um, so this ruling handed New York Attorney General Letitia James a near total victory meaning that next week's trial will mostly focus on damages that could pulverize whatever is left of Trump's many business entities and bank accounts. Wow. In the 35-page opinion, and this is published, some people can seek it out and to, to uh, read it, Justice Arthur F. Edgeron tore apart what he called Trump's family, quote, bogus arguments and the obstreperous conduct. He summed up the entire defense as, quote, a fantasy world not the real world. Hmm. In the defendant's world, rent-regulated apartments are worth the same as unregulated apartments. Restricted land is worth the same as unrestricted land. Restricts can evaporate into thin air. All illegal acts are untimely if they stem from one untimely act, and square footage is subjective. Trump, several of his heirs, and top executives will now be fighting off accusations of bank and insurance fraud at a civil trial that's scheduled to run from early October until late December, 
Uh, the New York AG seeks to punish them all for routinely lying about property values to score better deals. At trial, it will be up to Judge Engeron alone whether the Trumps will owe $250 million plus in penalties, be prohibited from serving as executives, and have the company charters revoked. On Tuesday, Engeron ripped the Trumps and their lawyers apart for dragging this on so long with legal arguments that wasted the court time by repeatedly questioning whether the Attorney General even had the authority to hold them accountable this way. Those arguments, quote, glaringly misrepresent the law and trying them again, quote, invoke the time loop in the film Groundhog Day, the judge wrote, calling attempts to topple the case the way of, quote, pure sophistry. Um, the judge seemed particularly annoyed at what he described as Trump's inability to run their business ethically. He had previously assigned a former federal judge to oversee aspects of the Trump organization to ensure that it did not <clears throat> slyly shift assets ahead of the trial, only to discover that the executives wouldn't let the court-appointed monitor do her job. Quote, even with preliminary injunction in place and with an independent monitor overseeing their compliance, defendants have continued to disseminate false and misleading information while conducting business. The judge said canceling the business certificate was justified. The ongoing flouting of the court's prior order combined with the persistent false nature of false statements of the financial condition year after year have demonstrated the necessity of canceling the certificates. I'm trying to get to the end here. I will take a breath. There's just a little bit more, but you can interject. Well, it sounds very much like um, this judge is exasperated as he could possibly be with Trump in this circumstance and in his organization. And he's pulled the business certificates um, like he's just not able uh, he's, he's like, ordered the dissolution it, 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 and I don't know how many businesses Trump has but I can say this a business is usually formed in a place and likely Trump being from New York many and all, if not all probably many of his businesses are formed in New York now um, I mean it could be that he has a bunch of Delaware corporations I haven't heard this but this case is in New York, and it's not like every state has a Trump organization. So this doesn't mean that Trump can do business in um, 49 other states. It means that whatever these companies are, are out of assets. Yeah, and they've got assets. And, and it's not like you can just, you know, plink, shut a big company. Move your golf be, course. Yeah, you can't be just, just shut down. Yeah, this is... This is a big deal, from um, by the sounds of it. Okay, so this this actually gets to something a little bit more meaty here about what they were the argument was. Endron stopped Trump from leaning on dubious disclaimers of his longtime accountants at Mazars USA, which indicated they hadn't actually audited his personal financial statement. So, in other words, well, they didn't audit it. You know, how I didn't know. Um, in court, his lawyers kept pushing the idea that Trump wasn't really bound by basic rules called generally accepted accounting principles known as GAAP. Judges having none of that. These non-party disclaimers do not insulate defendants from liability as they plainly state that Donald J. Trump is responsible for the preparation and fair presentation of the financial statement in accordance with accounting principles generally accepted in the United States of America. So the, his accountant said, uh, well, we didn't really look all with all the details, but he's responsible, <laughs> and, and he signed off on it. And uh, let's see. And some Mazur's disclaimers put the onus for accuracy squarely on the defendant's shoulders. And that's, that's 
quite a bit of the story right there. So, what is the result going to be as far as Trump's campaign goes? Um, let me. I, I've got some questions. It's time to raise some more money, <laughs> right? Well, the if, witch hunt. If he takes uh, campaign money and puts it into his organizations, that's going to be very bad for him in the long run. A few years from now, he'll have to deal with oh. that particular lawsuit. We're going to have to probably expand on this on the other side of the next messages. But I would say that if my goal were to save the Trump Corporation assets and keep them as much control as I could, it seems like it's going to go over to receivership. Where will you find someone with enough wealth and assets that could make an offer to take it into re- to take it off the hands of the receivership. I don't know. Maybe someplace that had a sovereign wealth fund. Maybe somebody that liked your son-in-law a whole lot. Yeah. Maybe maybe someplace with a sunny climate. And we're not talking about South Florida. We'll find out more about this and many other things. Even with the limited amount of time that we have left in the next hour, it seems. You're listening to Reigns and Edge on the Free Talk Live Network. Rains and Edge on the Free Talk Live Network. I'm Henry Rains. I'm Mark Edge. And we have been all over the place the last couple hours. We looked at the last hour. We were examining the outcome for former President Donald Trump. I suggested maybe there's a sovereign wealth fund somewhere that would come buy his company out of receivership. And yeah, it was, I, I don't know what you're talking about. It sounded like you were sort of projecting something. I was occurred. teasing. Yeah, you were teasing, indeed. Yes. And I don't know what the tease was, so I'm well, very curious. And you don't tell me much over here anyway. I'm just Jared, Jared Kushner, yep, yep, you know, Jared the son-in-law Kushner, yep. of the former president, had a very close relation with uh, the Saudi government and the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund and received, I believe, hundreds of millions of dollars of an investment because in, Jared Kushner has gone on to become an investment advisor and run an investment fund. His family comes from a, a lot of real estate investment in the, the Northeast there, in New York, etc. And the Saudis are always looking for things to buy, it seems like, these days. So they'll help their influence. Like They bought the PGA. Um, they... They, they dabbled with the idea of buying the WWE from Vince McMahon and different things like that. So if a business goes into receivership you know, there, and there's liabilities and the assets have to be sold to meet liabilities, then it seems like maybe Saudi Arabian financial interests might find it. swoop in. And then save this company from receivership, um, and then well buy it out of receivership or buy the assets out of receivership, and then look around for someone that could manage it and would have the experience to do it, and someone that might even be a, a president again. <laughs> and what a what a great relationship they would all have together. Indeed, yes. But yeah, this that's is the, this is the kind of back scratching and log rolling that one would expect. Yes. It's what made this world great. 
considering that that amount of money, um, you know, although, you know, breathtaking and staggering for us, and in fact, maybe even to some extent for the Saudis, it's probably worth the investment in so much as the the sum is the parts are worth uh, worth nearly as much as the sum. You can always break things off and sell them and, and things like that if everything doesn't work out. With well, especially now that they're going to be valued at the real value as opposed to the uh, fantasy is. value that they were being put right. being put on them then. Trump, the only man who's the only billionaire that's ever been a president. <laughs> <laughs> If he was a billionaire. Indeed. Well, this is the thing is I, I would argue that very, very few people are billionaires at all. People will toss, bandy this term around, and I think that most people they call billionaires are, you know, what, what, what a few hundred million or something like that. Because really, how many hundreds of millions of dollars do you have to be to be a billionaire? Have to have to be a billionaire. And it, it's so hard to quantify well, if- what... A billionaire is because it's assets. It's not if you're Jeff Bezos or sure. Elon Those Musk. Those guys you are can legit. count the shares. Sure, there's there's a list of people that people can um, point to and say those guys are billionaires, and I don't doubt it for a second. I'm not saying that billionaires don't exist. What I'm saying is is that anybody who self applies the term is probably not. Why would they want to apply the term? Right. Why would you want to? I mean, once you say I'm a billionaire, you can't go most places in the world without getting kidnapped. When the Powerball has been a, been around a billion dollars a couple times, and I don't remember which time it was. Well, that's and, just the IRS's uh, yeah. weekly uh, cash in. Well, you you you, someone would ask, well, what would you buy first thing with with that money? And I say a security detail, <laughs> right? Um, all right, those. We also, I, I just want to give a nod to someone else who, who was helping us out with legal advice. And that would be, of course, the well-known legal scholar, Skeeter. <laughs> and, in fact, let, let, let me pull this up, because I learned something from this voicemail from Skeeter. And if you want to help me learn a thing or two, you call 941-799-6033, 941-799-6033. Do you th- do you find it interest? Do you find it interesting that the uh, New Hampshire area code is six zero three, and you have picked uh, a number that can contain six zero three? No. Yeah, you don't find like it interesting. Destiny, you didn't know that it happened. I picked it because of the symmetry. Yeah, it, it is six on symmetry. one side of the zero and three plus three on the other side of the zero. I love it. And it was just like a pretty number. I thought. Uh, anyway, the, the, what I wanted to say is I learned about Texas versus white from 1869 from this. I just want to, because you may miss it in uh, Skeeter's elaboration here, and I don't know if you're going to let me get to the end of all this, so I do want to give the heads up to people that I appreciate learning about Texas v. white uh, from this voicemail. But what did Skeeter have to say about all this? Well, I'm glad you asked, I'm sure. Hey, Mark. It's your boy, Skeeter. Your My boy. argument on Beer Talk Live last Saturday, I made, uh, I was trying to make the case that secession was illegal. I'm Batman. But you fallaciously portrayed this. Now, we, we had a uh, uh, segment about uh, seceding, secession. Yes. On our show. So 
So I don't know why he was calling Saturday about that. Were you talking about it on Saturday too? We were talking about it on Saturday's show. Um, his contention was that um, that secession is illegal. Secession is treason or something to that effect. My my uh, contention is is that if a state can enter an agreement, it can exit agree- an agreement. Oh, I'm so on Skeeter's side on this. I, I think his I think his, the weight of his jurisprudence argument here is overwhelming. You should never team up with somebody simply because they agree with you. I I, <laughs> I don't even know that he, he and I agree on anything, but I've read the I read the I I'm a Wikipedia expert now. Okay. I read the Wikipedia about Texas v. White and I say, well, this pretty much sounds like what Skeeter said it sounds like. Well, let's let's give Skeeter a little bit more sound. Supreme Court's decision to say quote unquote since it has no exit clause, there shall be no exit, quote-unquote. This is patently false. The Supreme Court does define an exit clause in the Supreme Court ruling of Texas versus White, 1869, which I mentioned, but you didn't look up. I did. And that idiot captain blindly accepted your argument and hung up on me before I could respond. Yeah. You echo-chambered yourselves into believing this fallacy, which, again, I tried to bring up on the Sunday Free Talk Live show, but, uh, we'll back on Sunday with us? Free on Talk again. Live is notorious for shooting. Okay, so here's the argument. Just because something isn't mentioned in the Constitution does not make it either prohibited or an unenumerated right. The Supreme Court uses original intent of the framers of the Constitution when... Okay. So, he did, he very articulate there for the next minute, and I want to just get to the the decision here, if I can, because... Uh, what they decided is a little bit more concise on this. It was a case argued before the United States Supreme Court in 1869 involved a claim by the Reconstruction Government of Texas that would have been Im- imposed on them by the federal government that the United States bonds owned by Texas since 1850, prior to the Civil War, uh, had been illegally sold by the Confederate state because they would have been trying to raise money and that was an asset that they could have sold. Um, these are my parenthetical additions, by sure. the way, if anybody's listening is wondering. Anyway, uh, the state filed suit in the United States Supreme Court, which under the United States Constitution has original jurisdiction on certain cases. In accepting the original jurisdiction, the court ruled that legally speaking, Texas was and remained a state of the United States ever since it first joined the Union in 1845, despite okay. it later purporting to join the Confederate States. Anyway, it goes on to say, and I, as I will paraphrase here, because I know Mark's probably been over this a few times, uh, is uh, the only way you can succeed is to succeed in a revolution. And if you lose, you, you never succeeded. You never succeeded. <laughs> you didn't succeed in your succession, and you didn't successfully succeed. So I, I agree with their logic there. I, uh, if you lose, you lose. I think that um, you have to, you would have to enforce um, your secession in some manner or another. I would not recommend firing on um, a, a federal for, a fort just because you've had some kind of vote. But I think if you've got two thirds of a uh, two thirds of your population that says we don't want to be part of the United States government anymore, and this seems way out of the realm of possibility this particular week in American politics. So I'm not too too concerned with this uh, this statement. But if if you can get two thirds of your people to vote for it, 
then as far as I'm concerned, that's a mandate from the people. And the Constitution... Is that two-thirds of the fewer people that you want allowed to vote, or is that you need two-thirds of all the residents to vote? Well, as far as I'm concerned, it should be, there should only, people should only be able to vote, um, you know, people that are informed should be able to vote. And people who aren't should just leave themselves out of it. If you don't know how many states there are in the United States, if you don't know who the seated vice president is, you probably should just stay home when it comes to election time. Yeah, you probably are. Probably. It's true. Probably. Skeeter, thank you for the voicemail. I learned something. We will try and bring Mark kicking and screaming to the... Well, I'd point this out. Anybody who wants to secede from the United States, you can do that tomorrow. Um, There are currently, you know, there's $99 flights out of the United States. You don't need to... Who will take you? Who will take what? Uh, Who will take somebody with $99 and give them a new... Home. Well, um, you probably need to have a bit more if you want to become a citizen, but you can go live other How places. How about a lot of gumption? Um, I'll tell you this. If you're leaving the United States and you don't have some savings, it's a bad idea. If you do have some savings, it'll go a lot farther in the Latin American country. All right. Words to the wise there. <sighs> you know, we... we Trump talk- and... <laughs> oh, I was going to secession. Okay. Those counties up in Oregon that want to secede and join Idaho. Yes. We'll see how that goes. Don't, uh, don't you think they should be able to? No. Why not? What is Why the legal some... mechanism that you can just break off from a state and join another state? Well, it's, all Congress has to do is say it's okay. Uh, I, I just... That's the problem with being a, a state. Um, the... You know, I mean, like some some guy in 1890 draws a polygon, and we have to live with that for the rest of our lives. Okay. Well, that would be geometry. I think but, that, uh, by the way, states should be based on water tables. On water tables? Yes. Especially out How west. about water beds? <laughs> you don't see many water beds anymore. No, they really they ran their course. Yeah. I had one when I moved up to New Hampshire. They are a lot easier to transport. But yeah. Well, if you don't keep the water in them. <laughs> right, right. You don't want to transport them with the water in them, yes. <sighs> Not good to have with cats either. <laughs> yeah. Dogs are rough too, but cats especially. The soft side gets all the benefits without the, uh, or mo- most of the benefits, I'd say. Do you ever see the waveless water beds? Yep. Well, that was a, a, a variation towards the end of their, their run in the bedding stores. You could get the waves going top to bottom or left to right depending on what you wanted, how you wanted to put the long tubes in, but they wouldn't go from the other direction. It probably probably went over much better in the hippie days and when you not only had the waves in the bed, but in your head. <laughs> I found that uh, you, you, couldn't, you can't fall into bed in a waterbed very well because it's like hitting cement. Mm. Well, you must have had them really hard. Then. Uh, you, must have, you, you vary the amount of water you have in according to your own preference. I suppose you could. Yes, you should. <laughs> but, but on the other hand, if you have it too soft, you know, they have that wooden frame that the, basically the big balloon sits in. And, and if there isn't enough water, 
and you hop Plunk. on that. Yes, you wind up plunking your, your head on the, <laughs> the hardwood around the edges. Uh, well, speaking of finding places you want to live, or you think we can convince uh, Gen Z or the what, what are we calling them, Zennials, um, the uh, Zoomers, Zoomers? Uh, you think we can convince Zoomers that waterbeds existed? Why wouldn't they? My son Jack has never seen a waterbed in his well, life. You you don't take him over to the computer and go on YouTube and get a commercial of a waterbed or something. I've never never considered it. I uh, you know there's some things that it's like well you know it just kind of disappeared slowly. He probably wouldn't know what a fax machine was either. I watched the uh, amazing what you can find on YouTube. I watched the very first broadcast of a television broadcast. It was from 1936. I mean, this is what it was labeled as, but I tend to believe it. It was actually, the video I was watching was actually a recording of people watching the actual broadcast because it was for RCA company, which became NBC, or somehow they're all related, I don't know. But it was at Rockefeller Center, I think, and maybe it was is Rockefeller Center isn't the Empire State Building. I don't think but so. But the actual antenna was on the Empire State Building because they were showing like graphics or something of that. Anyway, all they could do was broadcast it to assorted TVs set up in the the building where they were doing the broadcast because nobody had any TVs anywhere because oh. it was the first TV broadcast. And they had, and also what you find in a lot of those early um, videos, because then YouTube will say, well, you like that? You want to see this one? And sure. There's a lot of old white men on those first broadcasts. And there's some guy named General, and uh, some other old white guy, and they're sitting at this desk, and they're saying, well, it's very exciting, and we're having this broadcast. And then they had newsreel footage. That Are they, these all the, what, what? Later became the television executives. I think they were like the RCA executives. Okay, you know RCA was like Microsoft or something sure. at one time. So they uh, said, "Well, it's very exciting here." And then they're just sitting there at a table talking. And then to make it exciting, they had like clips from newsreels that would then rotate in somehow in the studio. But the only people watching this weren't in a movie theater. They were just sitting in front of little six-inch screens around the RCA building and being told about this great thing that was coming that would change the world. It was like a closed-circuit broadcast inside of a building yes. for a company. And I can just see people staring at those six-inch screens, like looking around and trying to see over the shoulder of their coworker, and like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> well, I, I, I imagine they did think it was great. I mean, to, to see moving pictures before that, you had to be in a movie theater, and now you can have it anywhere. Was the yes, idea. and other than stuff that they showed that you would have seen at the movie theater, you got to see two old white guys sitting around a table telling you how great it was. Well, it, it brought us somewhere, right? Now you can, with one day's labor, you can buy a television and watch innumerable amounts of, uh, of, of video on it, and it, it took a long time to uh, build the momentum. You can buy a phone and watch innumerable amounts of live video. Yeah. And you can make your own live video. It's true. You can broadcast. It's, it's just like the dog eating its tail. <laughs> and 
the, uh, the other thing was I saw the commercial for the first remote control for a TV. Yeah. Is this a and, child? Because <laughs> no. this was, I'm pretty sure that my parents had me just to go change the channel. They, they, it, you got a picture like, just picture your phone with a row of buttons on the right side and a row of buttons on the, and they're all little rocker bars. So you had a tuning rocker bar and a volume rocker bar and all these things. Wow. You did have to turn the TV on at the, the set. At the set, okay. And then after that, you could just sit in your chair and life was good. We had an early uh, remote, and I think that must have been mid-80s, early 80s yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Well, actually, the other part of this was there was a corresponding rocker bar control on the console of the TV, and... So I don't know how one moved the other, but you know, your tuning and all, it was the same motion, the same rocker bar, two rocker bars, same, mo same function. And, uh, but I remember in the probably late 60s going to somebody's house with that, and well, this is going to be another thing that people don't even, Jack would never realize. You had to turn a dial to get to the channel, and it would right. go click, 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 and fall into place. And... That, so this remote control then, there actually had to be some kind of motor inside the TV because you would click it and the, it would turn. So something was turning it in there, either that or a tiny little squirrel or something, <laughs> and a very educated squirrel. But it would go, and you, I mean, you figured that would have to wear out sometime. <laughs> I, I think that it was uh, more important that it had the functionality than it would wear out. But I remember in the 70s when we got a TV with buttons. We still didn't have a remote, but you know, rather than trying to turn and, and then you'd have the dial, you could fine-tune the, the VHF station, much less the UHF, but like the difference between channel 12 and channel 13, you'd like do that little dial in the middle. Do you, yeah. re do you remember those? Oh, yeah, I remember. It's a yeah, fine-tuning dial. Try and, yeah, fine-tuning dial, exactly. And where you'd fine-tune. And they would, uh, yeah. Then we had buttons, and you knew you were getting 13 when you pressed 13. Yeah, they must have had an automatic fine-tuning at that point. Well, it's digital. Okay. Digital tuning, as opposed to, uh, what do we want to call it, analog tuning? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But you're, you're in the business. I don't know. I don't build radios. I'm just talk on them. And you have two for 20 years. Yeah, and we have a segment here that I, we didn't even get to the new dating show. Oh no! What's the name dating show? Well, it's called. What is, is this it the called? Bachelor? I, I, I'm because I thought we were going to have enough time to do a respectable story about how Florida is the leader in book banning. Uh, the, we're number one for the country. <laughs> we're number one, and then we would have gone to Charlotte County. But I think all of that stuff. Let's see. It's called Naked Attraction, not the book banning, but the the show that's on probably HBO Cinemax now should be banned. It probably. was started in the, in Great Britain. Maybe we'll have to lead with that when we come back, and if we have time, we'll talk about book banning. But well, they all sort of go together. The, the greater welfare, protecting children. That's why some people are upset about the uh, Naked Attraction, Naked Dating show with all the men and or women, I guess, standing in glass booths, totally naked, 
as they are evaluated on their different body parts. And I find it even less likely that a woman cares too much about some guy and what he looks like naked. Um, I mean, I can, I can well, see guys... Well, they will find women that do. Anyway, you're listening to well. Reigns and Edge on the Free Talk Live Network. Rains at Edge on the Free Talk Live Network. I'm Henry Rains. I'm Mark Edge. So many promises, Mark. So many things to fulfill. We have the Florida is the number one book banning. We've got the naked dating show. How are we ever going to blend those topics together in this segment? Well, um, I think we should go with the naked dating show because people are going to be very interested in that. And then we'll find out uh, what's going on in Florida. I think we should do the opposite. Because I think people will wait to find out about the Naked Dating Show, <laughs> and they will listen to this uh, healthy conversation that we're about to have, that the fact that more books were pulled from the shelves of Florida public schools compared to any other state during the past school year. Uh, we're number in, one in book banning. Yes. And we could get some T-shirts made. <laughs> uh, a new report released Who's Thursday. Who's going to read them? Last week, Thursday. <laughs> Pen America found I don't know what Pen America is, but they took the time to find this out. Uh, it av- oh, it advocates for freedom of expression. Recorded 3,362 instances of bans in public school classrooms and libraries from July 2022 to June 2023. Out of these, 1,400 or 40% of the national total took place in Florida. Florida is not an aberration, said Tasselin Magnuson, a consultant with the Freedom to Read team at they have to hire a consultant from their own <laughs> nonprofit about freedom to read. Anyway, maybe that she's just a statistician. She noted that Florida is a perfect example of everything that's happening all at once. Uh, there's group influences, there's legislative influence, there's people who are worried and scared and unsure how to move forward. Okay. Uh, it says Texas registered the second highest number of book bans with 625 books. Let's see, that's. Well, they're barely in the game. If Florida was, what was Florida? Florida was 1,400, and Texas could only come Less up than with half. 600, yes. Uh, followed by Missouri, 331, Utah, 281, and Pennsylvania, 186. Um, I'm looking, you might be interested in this, in New Hampshire. There's a, a map here, and New Hampshire, uh, I'm sure there's no correlation to the color with, with what the word, but... It's sort of a light pink. That means there are only one to ten bands in a state with that color. California was similar. Much of the Midwest, surprisingly, with like uh, Wyoming, or maybe that's... Uh, that's the West. What's, right, what's to the right of Utah? Wyoming is, I think, a upper right corner. of Colorado? Uh, Colorado, yeah, that figures, those people. One of those right but Oklahoma countries. and Arkansas didn't have many bands. Maybe they didn't have the internet uh, distributed enough for people to get connected to have these <laughs> bands. Anyway, uh, so we, we talked about that. Well, I think it's interesting. If, if you listen to the, uh, the, the good Christian folks out there, um, the ones that are active on the internet, 
I mean, I certainly believe there are books that probably are not appropriate for, say, a middle school library. Um, however, I don't know whether I trust the news source in many cases, in fact, to tell me that. So, um, Hotel New Hampshire. Uh, this is a book by the same guy, author. I can't remember the name of the author, but he did The World According to Garp. Um, you know, he's a, you know, it's, it's a great book. It does involve a, a situation of incest. Now, they're not going into the, you know, the, the mechanics of how it all worked, but, you know, it's a brother who was in love with his sister. And I think that, to me, I think that it was a very good book and perhaps an adult topic, but who am I to say when an adult is an adult? I don't know when somebody's matured mentally enough to read this book. I was in my 20s when I read it, um, so I wouldn't particularly ban that book, but somebody would just say, incest, banned. If only there were something like, I don't know, media specialists that went to college to get a degree specializing in this stuff that we could turn to help make these choices. I suspect that the librarians are making those choices in many cases. Well, they used to. But that was before Florida expanded the parental rights and education law. Well, that originally that was the law that, correctly or incorrectly, was dubbed by critics, don't say gay, Bill, with prohibited discussions of sexuality and gender identity from kindergarten through third grade. Because, really, why is that so important from kindergarten to third grade? Well... That's the whole foot-in-the-door approach, Mark, as you're probably familiar with. Uh, well, the foot-in-the-door is the other direction, too, right? Like, uh, you know, why are, why, my question is, why are drag queens doing a story time hour? Yes, but let's finish this right here, because in the very next session, though, they expanded it all the way to eighth grade. Now, when you're up to eighth grade, people might say, uh, I might say, I don't need people to say it, because I might say it, that... Maybe there's children that are reaching puberty that need to have someone or something that they can refer to to get answers on either some of the feelings or some of the physical things that are going on or maybe what's happening in their home. There are things that uh, you're not going to say to your friends or you're not going to say out loud in school that you might find in a book. You know, we have a high degree of self-harm uh, that kids uh, participate in, that uh, they may be reading about it in a situation would give them some time to reflect on what they're doing, or maybe they're being abused and they're seeing how it's handled in a uh, literary situation might help. There's reasons that, that dealing with more mature topics in eighth grade uh, could be beneficial, but that's how they went from, oh, who could have could be against protecting a third grader from sure. this. Well, let's protect the 14-year-old from it. Well, not so much. And uh, our own uh, Governor DeSantis uh, said this book banning is all a hoax. Uh, the where, where is that quote there? Yes. DeSantis, who was championing the bills, called the whole book ban thing, quote, a hoax. There's not been a single book banned in the state of Florida. You can go buy or use whatever book you want. What we've done is empower parents with the ability to review curriculum to know what books are being used, and it goes on from there. But what we have are places like Moms for Liberty and these other organizations that now have whole spreadsheets that they circulate. And the, you know, the, the people don't even have to look at the books. 
they just I find that a real problem. Yeah, a real problem is is that um, on the one hand, the the part of the law that says that a county commission cannot prevent somebody from reading a portion of a book, um, or I guess maybe it's the school board. School board they can't permit prevent uh, somebody from reading a portion of the book. That makes perfect sense to me. Look, if you've got a problem with a book, you should be able to read the offending passage of the book to your uh, elected bureaucrats. And whereas. Well, you're, they're not elected bureaucrats or elected representatives. The bureaucrats are the ones in the library. That's true. And, and they have a form for you to fill out. <laughs> but they do. So I, I guess there's there, – uh, like I don't take one side or the other. As far as I'm concerned, it's unlikely that I'm going to send my kid to government school. And if I did, I want to give my opinion on what's going on. And you should be heard. That's right. Or at least – Allowed to fill out a form, right? And but the, and somebody the, should read it too. I'll say that the oh. one way that you can be best heard when it comes to your kids' education is removing them from government school. <laughs> I, no, I, I, I'm not even laughing at what you said. I was trying to picture the person that went, "I've got something to read to you, and you are going to see how offensive this is, and should not be read by children." And I'm going to read it to all you people so you can be offended <laughs> by it, too. Um, anyway. Well, I suppose an adult is the best person to determine whether or not a kid should be offended. Uh, and be you don't have a choice about it, adult. You're going to listen to me read it to you. Um, well, you should, as far as I'm concerned, you wanted to run for school board. You could be at home watching YouTube No, videos. no, you, there's an audience there. There's a, that sure. didn't that weren't warned that you were going to read that offensive material to them. This is in the public comment section. There's a whole if it's offensive material, why is people. it why is it available to you know x year olds in, in? Well, it's offensive to that person that wants to read it in front of all these other people to have a dramatic moment. You know, it's not like there's a voicemail that they're all going to listen to <laughs> anywhere you get to expand on your opinion. That's that would be too open. And what's the number? 941? 799-6033. <laughs> you can expand our horizons here. But that just gets me to the next, next chapter of this little fable here. Because, as we said, that they go from third grade and all of a sudden now it's to eighth grade. And now you're taking stuff out of the high school library occasionally. Or you have it at different places. You're, you're, chilling. you're chilling the freedom of speech there. And well, I agree completely with this. I really think the best person to determine whether or not somebody can, um, you know, whether or not a kid can read a given document is that person's parent. Now, I can't make somebody a good parent, and no one is going to let me prevent some people from breeding and encourage other people from breeding. So, you know, that's where we're at. Well, here in Florida, we got counties. And not all counties are created equal. And some counties are more equal than others. And in Charlotte County to our south, they said, book banning? Hold my beer. <laughs> On Tuesday, Popular Information, which is a Substack column uh, from Judd Legum, who actually used to be on uh, my old show in the early aughts uh, quite a bit. He was, he was one of those people at Center for American Progress that was uh, taking up space, waiting for the... Uh, White House in waiting, but he does a heck of a job as a journalist. Anyway, he's doing popular information on Substack, and he, they've uh, they've uncovered some really uh, 
some stories that have gained lots of legs through the, uh, the mainstream media. Now, I don't know what it's like in other states, but every state's got its place that it, its other state that it looks down on. You know, Illinois has Indiana, and New Hampshire has Vermont, and Florida has Georgia. But this is kind of true in this area when it comes to counties, too. The tables have turned on, <laughs> well, on Georgia and Florida. Indeed. Um, the uh, Sarasota County looks down on Manatee County. Yes. But Manatee County looks down on Charlotte. Well, I don't know about that. You and I, I they, 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 some, some of Some moms for liberty here in Manatee County may be saying, yeah, they know how to do it down there. I'm sure. Uh, anyway, uh, on Tuesday, just, just a couple days ago, uh, popular information reported that librarians in Charlotte County, Florida, were instructed by the school district superintendent to remove, remove all books with LGBTQ characters. This story was based on a document dated July 24, 2023, obtained from the school district through a public records request. The request filed by the Florida Freedom of Right to Read Project sought electronic records. Let me just get to the meat of the matter here. So this was guidance from the Charlotte County Superintendent Mark Vianello. Uh, the question was, novels to be used in courses or in the media centers with LGBTQ plus characters are acceptable as long as they do not have explicit six sex scenes. This is the question put forward. Is it, is it, they are okay is or it? sexual descriptions that are not approaching how-to manuals or how to be an LGBTQ person? His response, no. <laughs> Books with LGBTQ plus characters are not to be included in classroom libraries or school library media centers. Follow-up. This, this is like from, the questions are coming from the librarians. Sure. Are we removing books from any school or media centers pre-K to 12 if a character has, for example, two mothers or because there is a gay best friend or a main character is gay? Yes. Uh, prior to publication, popular information contacted the school board and asked if the guidance was still valid. The school district, through a spokesperson, ultimately provided a lengthy statement. The statement never suggested the document had been invalidated or superseded. Rather, the school district defended the document and said it reflected the school district was required to do under Florida law. But that afternoon, a Charlotte County spokesperson reached, <coughs> reached out to popular information with slightly different. They said that the book with LGBT characters were removed from K through 8 libraries, but were available in the district's high school libraries. Popular information asked when the policy had changed and a copy of the revised policy. Spokesman said there was no written policy. Oh. <laughs> and that further guidance to educators was provided as part of a discussion. So there are some LGBTQ characters in the, the high school libraries, according to this. But they obtained. It makes you wonder which. Series like I don't I, I don't well, know anything about that. last thing and I do want to give Judd credit again for being an actual journalist. So he then obtained the logs of the books removed from the high school libraries, and they were produced by the public res, uh, records request. And the log shows that numerous books with LGBTQ characters were removed from high school libraries just prior to the start of the school year. Of course, we can't be sure there isn't some LGBTQ character. Hiding on page 327 of some book in some corner, but many aren't. They, they, some of them, some of them were caught by the net, some of them weren't. So at this point, we're being sort of misinformed as to what's going on in the, 
uh, Charlotte County high schools too, right? I think we're being informed on what's happening there. Yes, well, and you just sort of assume the, that the information includes some disinformation. The, 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 all characters are straight, heterosexual, or celibate. Right. One, one of those point, things. It's just uh, it, it's just the Hardy Boys and uh, Nancy Drew. But, but it's all about protection because we're on a slippery slope, Mark. Things are going to hell in a handbasket. Things uh, in your own home, there are things that you should not be seeing, and. One of those is naked attraction. <laughs> naked attraction. See, this is what happens when you take the, the books and put them in the libraries. People turn to TV. And when they turn to TV, they go to the streaming or the premium channels because that's where the good stuff is. HBO Cinemax or HBO Max is whatever it's called now. It's been a long time since Friday After Dark on Cinemax. Uh, I might have seen 30 years ago with a... Um, Shannon Tweed and some of the other great stars of that era. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you don't need to. <laughs> We've got to move on. We've got to cover ground here. Naked Attraction. I, gotta, I have to cough. Naked Attraction, which airs on Channel 4 in the United Kingdom, debuted on Max this month. The... Controversial series is available now to American viewers. The dating show has been noteworthy and controversial because contestants appear completely nude and are not censored on Max. Though the FCC prohibits obscene, indecent, and profane content on U.S. television, which covers topics including nudity, regular sex, and offensive language, only applies to over the air. So it's on cable. In other words, you can do what you want. And I'm trying to get a better description. It's justified because of context. Anyway, okay, here it is. A contestant on Naked Attraction selects from six potential dates, all of whom are nude. It's already in the bag. Okay. Take this to the bank, Mark. Okay. All right, and we'll run over just a little bit here. Okay, let me start again. So, a contestant on Naked Attraction selects from six potential dates, all of whom are nude, which is completely uncensored, which, with one body part revealed at a time. I'm sure thinking from the bottom to the top. Does this mean like both feet at the same time, or do they just well, pick your best you're, foot or your worst foot? No, I've seen pictures. You're standing in a glass cage, uh, or, yeah, glass like a like a phone booth for people that can remember what a phone booth was. You're like in a glass phone booth, all glass, and you're they show one body part at a time. The face comes last, so I opinion I feel they probably start with your feet and bring it up from there. If they have you naked in a uh, in a glass phone booth, I don't suspect at that point the way your face looks is that darn important. It could be. It could be the tiebreaker. It could be. Uh, all right. So the if, if you were dating, um, you had six cho- choices of six women uh, with whom you're going to date, and you got to see all of them naked. Whatever it took you to get to that point suggests that you don't care what that woman's face looks like as much as say something else. I don't think that's uh, exclusive to either gender. You can go to church and look at women's faces and decide who you want to date. One body part <laughs> revealed <laughs> at a time. <laughs> and feet come first. 
When two potential dates remain, the person choosing also has to remove their clothes before picking one to go on a date with, which occurs with both parties fully clothed. The date is clothed. The contest is not. Uh, I think it's interesting that anybody that signs up for this knows that sooner or later they're getting naked in public for people. Yes. The show premiered in the United Kingdom in 2016 and has aired six complete seasons. The seventh season is currently airing on Channel 4. They have critics. And, <laughs> and, I'm a critic already. Uh, panelists of The View are some of those. Mm. Discuss the I really hate nature. being on the same side of an issue as The View. Whoopi Goldberg remarking, people actually want to see this. Okay. Well. Uh, conservative watchdog group, Parents Television Council, slammed, uh, naked attraction should not exist on the Max streaming program platform and HBO should immediately remove the exploited pornographic program. Anyway, I've seen other questions, or rather comments that are not here, where people are fascinated by this. And one woman was saying, I know I shouldn't enjoy this, but seeing the dejection on the man's face when his body parts are talked about negatively <laughs> is just too good. <laughs> I suppose they know that that's what's going to happen, and they're like, hey, work on your sad face now. (laughs) Because, I mean, it's television, right? Put your best foot forward. (laughs) I wonder if these guys are going out and getting pedicures beforehand. Oh, I think think it would be a good investment. Yeah, it sure would. Yeah, I I mean, if they're going to reveal your feet and we're going to look at your feet, yeah, I think you should. It's amazing the things that were cultural icons that... I guess so many people don't even remember anymore or ever were aware of the Playboy Mansion and Hugh Hefner and the parties that went on there and Howard Stern before his current incarnation he had a a show on E! Entertainment evening which was like highlights of his regular radio show plus the things that were more video appropriate and he had a guy with a foot fetish and he would expand greatly on women's feet and these uh, different things, he said. And they sent him to the Playboy Mansion to uh, talk to the different playmates and other, uh, you know, the females that yeah, were hanging around. Yeah, discuss their feet with them, yeah. Yes, and to see the look on. So he would begin. And they, <laughs> at first it all be like, oh, tell me about my feet. And, and then he would. <laughs> and the looks on their face... These women that were probably some of the the most yeah these are the these are best, you know conventionally best looking women yeah. from the face the hair the other parts of their body and then he would get to the feet and he'd be like you see how your little toe is so much smaller in proportion to your other toes <laughs> and the dejection that would happen then right and I I don't want to go any farther off the air I will tell you about the the one phrase. See, there's some things even I won't do because <laughs> I don't want someone with this uh, particular. Does it have to do with the shape of the arch? It, you know, it has to do with a particular type of toe. Okay. And well, I'll do this. I'll say what he called the toe, but I won't describe the toe, so people can just assume they don't have it. Or he called it the evolutionary toe. The evolutionary toe. The evolutionary toe. Oh. Um, this is a little that, bump that's on what the... we've come to at this final segment of Reigns and Edge. 
On a, if only there was a, a book that we could read that would help take our mind off all this stuff and get us back into living at a higher level. We'll have to work on that, Martin. But what what are you looking to this coming week? I know we, we probably have uh, lots of travel in your future. Right. Well, in the near future, um, in the early part of next week, I will be heading to New Hampshire for Ian's uh, sentencing. Now, we've said that many times. Uh, Ian is the uh, founder of this uh, show, Free Talk Live, um, with me. We are the founders of the show. and he's Co-founders. Uh, yeah, co-founders of the show. And he is facing sentencing for selling Bitcoin without a license. And the... It's Jeremy's fault. It's Jeremy's fault. <laughs> send, him, send him tips, all you federal agents that are listening. Um, yeah, so basically I'll be there for two days and then headed back here. Right. More sunny climbs. All right, and more book banning and other things that will happen yeah. here. In the and we'll do our show. Yeah, we'll do somewhere. our show for next week. Somewhere, yeah. sometime, somehow. All right, well, thank you all for listening. Remember the voicemail. Let us know how we're doing. 941-799-6099. That's it. Rings and Edge on the Free Talk Live Network. to move to the free state and you're looking for some real estate well i know a guy who's really great it's the realtor mark ward now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in new hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime our friends at porcupine real estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by new hampshire citizens reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupinerealestate.com